Heavenly Father, thank you for drawing us together as your people this morning around your son Jesus, around worshipping him, of speaking of his goodness, of what he has done in the glorious good news that he has died and risen again and is Lord of all. Father, help us now as we come to the end of Acts to be able to see what you're saying to your church and to us through it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever been really dissatisfied with the ending of something, with something that's really anticlimactic, that just wasn't there in the intensity or emotion or feeling that you're expecting? There's so many ways this can happen. There's been so many TV shows where it's got to the end and I'm like, what was the point of it all? What's going on? Uh, you get to the lookout at the end of a hike, and sometimes it's actually a worse view than you saw along the way. The biggest way that I've experienced this in my life was when I finished my original university studies. Some of you know this story already. I thought that when I did my last piece of assessment, I'd be partying and celebrating. If you know me, I like to do that. But as soon as I finished that presentation and I walked out of the room and back to the computer lab where I'd been preparing for, all I could do was just lie down on the carpet and sleep for a few hours. Didn't really feel like anything momentous had happened. I was just tired and worn out and couldn't even think about celebrating. Is the end of Acts a bit like this? Does it feel to you, as you've heard Ken read it, that it doesn't really seem like it's ending in a fantastic or exciting way. We've been expecting Paul to come to Rome and have this audience with Caesar. And where was that? We've been expecting maybe something amazing like what happened all throughout the book, like a Pentecost, or like Paul's conversion experience, or like the massive bits of persecution that broke out across the book. But in the end, it just feels a bit more like the same that we've had again and again and again. It's tied up some themes of the book, sure, but it just really feels like the same. It feels like it's talking about the same mission and the same message and the same responses that we've got all the way through. But I think that's precisely the point as we finish up this book today. As Luke draws us to the end, He's seeing how the end of the book isn't the end of the mission of the church. Really, it's only the beginning. Christ's church, and that includes us today as we continue following him and proclaiming him, we're continuing this task of proclaiming Jesus, of being his witnesses of his unstoppable gospel until the end of the earth, until the Lord Jesus returns and we're with him. We're going to see more of that as we go through this chapter. But it begins with Paul finally arriving in Rome. As you would have heard as um, Ken was reading, we finally, after spending some time in Malta last week and three months over there, there's a new ship and a new last bit of journey and we finally get to this place that Paul's been intending to go since chapter 19. There's many ways where this feels like it's a really smooth sailing trip compared to before. There's no storm, there's no opposition, there's no disputes. Along the way, there's this easy ship. There's encouragement from brothers twice along the way. It makes Paul in verse 15 thank God and take courage for the trip that's about to come. Far from this treacherous journey, it feels almost triumphant, if it could be triumphant when you're a prisoner on a ship heading to a hearing. 
So what's so significant about Rome? Why has this been such a big thing that's been building up to for the last 10 or so chapters? Well, there's the first kind of surface answer that this is what God has promised Paul, that he wouldn't die or wouldn't be kept captive somewhere until he's reached this place, that he would have Paul proclaim him in front of rulers and authorities, that he would have Paul um, see Caesar. So on one level, it's God being truthful to his word and promises, but there's a much deeper thing that's been the current of the whole book. If we go back to Acts 1 and verse 8, there's this picture of the shape of the whole book that's finally reaching a climax here once we're in Rome. In that verse, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We saw in chapter 2 to 7 that witness happening in Jerusalem in key moments there of at Pentecost, of others proclaiming the truth of Jesus. And then when this Greek persecution broke out from chapters 8 to 12, we see the word stretch out and spread out to Judea and Samaria. It's still going along in this trajectory. And then from chapter 13 onwards, as it goes out to an island and then to Pisidian Antioch and further and further, there's this continued picture of the gospel, of the gospel witness going to the end of the earth. And finally, in this last stop in the book of Acts, as we get to Rome, we're at the furthest point that the gospel has been in the book. So far away from its beginnings in Jerusalem, and now we're at the very heart and center of this Roman rule and empire over the people. It's not the literal ends of the earth, but compared to where it was, it's so far away. God has moved it through his people and his witnesses so far. And as he gets there, he seems to have a lot of freedom to continue this. We see that though he's a prisoner, he actually gets to stay on his own just with one guard. And as we'll see throughout the rest of the chapter, that gives him a lot of freedom to have people over and this big meeting with the Jewish people. And so what's he going to do with his time there? Is he just going to sit idly as he waits for this hearing with Caesar? Is he going to wait for God to tell him to do something? We'll see in the next part that even though this is a new place and this new climactic spot in the book of Acts, that Paul just continues with his same mission. In verse 17, it says, After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected... I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my, my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. If you've been following along in the last few weeks of the series in Acts, this will feel really similar to the previous defences that Paul has done. 
He's telling the people that he's been a prisoner, he's innocent, he hasn't done anything wrong by the law of his people, and yet people were out against him, the Jewish people were opposed to him, and he had to do this appeal to even survive and come in this place. But you'll notice in verse 20 that he says this thing of what his purpose is. For this reason, I have asked to see you and speak with you. There seems to be two things going on there. On the first level, uh, he seems to be wanting to get on the front foot of all of the drama that's been going on surrounding him. We'll see in, in verses 21 and 22 that the people hadn't actually heard about what's been going on. They hadn't heard any of the charges against him. They hadn't heard all of the complaints and then the false testimony against him. And so on one level, he seems to be getting on the front foot and saying, this is what's happened, this is what I've done, and let me tell you why. But the deeper thing of it seems to be his intention to continue to use whatever opportunity he has to proclaim the hope of Israel in the glorious message of Jesus, God's son. As he calls all of these leaders together, on one level, he's just trying to let them know what it's, he's on about and what's happening, but really he's continuing his mission of proclaiming the gospel. And they're really willing to hear it. In verse 22, they desire to hear it from Paul. Even though they've heard it spoken against by everyone everywhere, they want to hear from this guy as he's come here. And so, as we continue on, as Paul continues with this same message of being a witness for Jesus, no matter where he is, he now continues with the same message and we see similar responses to what we've had all through the book. In verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He keeps on going, but you'll notice if you were paying attention earlier in Acts that this whole bit feels very similar to Acts 13. When Paul goes in where he has a, um, a moment in the synagogue with the Jews and where he proclaims about the truth of Jesus and people are listening. He's proclaiming from the scriptures and people are listening. As he goes, in verse 24, some were convinced by what he said but others disbelieved. It's the same picture we've had before. Some of God's people, these Jewish people, they're listening and hearing that Jesus is the Christ and they're believing. And yet some are still disagreeing. And this is made even clearer when he does his final statement and everyone leaves. He says at the end, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God 
has been sent to the Gentiles, they will listen. If you're following along in a much older translation of the Bible, you might see a verse 29 straight after that. Uh, And it seems like in some later manuscripts, because there's a bit of a weird um, jump from verse 28 to verse 30, that they just try to smooth it out a bit in adding in to say what he's already said in verse 25, that they departed after Paul made the statements while disagreeing with each other. Um, basically nothing new. But regardless, there's this similar picture. Paul started with proclaiming to his people, the Jewish people, the glorious message that Christ has come, that he is Jesus, and that there is hope and life in him. And yet people are not believing. The promise that God has made through centuries, through his prophets, through his word, has not been believed by everyone. And this was to be expected. And this is part of Paul's mission to say that even though some of God's people, the Jewish people, have rejected him, that there are others that will accept. That this message is not just for the people of Israel, not just a hope for those born into the Jewish community, but a hope that is for all people, Gentiles like you and me, who can listen and in faith can share this same hope. Jesus in Luke 24, near the end of the book, did the same thing with the disciples. He said in Luke 24, 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, forgiving with Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. Since before even Acts starts, it's the same message that Jesus' followers are sharing with people Paul, he starts with the Jews and proclaims this good news from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ, and yet people reject it. People reject the God who called them out originally and made them these promises. And so he turns to the Gentiles in obedience to his call and his conversion, and he is confident, as has happened all through Acts, that Gentiles will listen and come to faith. Not all of them, just like the Jewish people, but those that God calls will come and share in this faith and hope together. And so, after this happens, after he's had this final speech in the book, we get the summary verses in verses 30 to 31, the ones that feel like an uncertain ending. Luke writes that Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. We've had markers like this all throughout the book when we've gone to a new section. It will say things like the word of God greatly increased as it went out or as people proclaimed Jesus. 
And now we have another one like this right at the end of the book. That though Paul was waiting for this hearing, he was able to stay there. He welcomed anyone who came. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, that Christ is Lord. And he did it boldly and he wasn't hindered in the same way that throughout the whole book, God's gospel mission has been unstoppable. From the beginnings in Jerusalem until the end of the book in Rome, nothing has stopped God's gospel. And it hasn't stopped in the way that it's going out. It's still being proclaimed by his people, people like Paul who were persecutors and who are now his instruments to speak the good news of Jesus to this faraway city under captivity, in chains, but a gospel that is unchained and unstoppable. But as we come to it, we still don't have those answers, do we? We don't know what happens after those two years. We don't know what Caesar's going to say about Paul. Um, We don't know, is he going to die there? Is he going to die somewhere else? All these things are open for us. But rather than being an unsatisfying ending, I think that's Luke's technique to draw us into the story and help us see that it's not the end, that this mission of the gospel going out through his witnesses to the ends of the earth continues through the church today. There's another part of the Bible that does this same sort of thing. You might have seen in Mark's gospel that um, depending on your translation, It just ends abruptly when the women have seen that the tomb is empty, that Jesus has risen, they've heard it, and they run away. Later on, people added to it to try to explain the jarring, sudden ending. And so you might see some verses in these little parentheses at the end of Mark. But I think they kind of missed the point, that the point of that book is to see, okay, Jesus has risen, how are you going to respond to this truth. Similar, I think, Luke here ends in this way without a definitive ending of the book because he's asking the question, how will we as Christ's church continue the mission that started with the Lord Jesus coming and dying and rising again and ascending and sending his spirit to embolden his people to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth? It's a bit like an origin story for us as God's people. It's not the end of the story. It only helps us know how we've got here and what we're to continue to do until Jesus returns. And so as we've looked through that and as we look through the whole of Acts, what's that going to look like as we keep going? As we finish today, I think there's three applications for us of how our continued witness fits into this picture that we've seen in Acts. And the first one is maybe the obvious one that we continue with the same unstoppable mission, the same unstoppable mission to be witnesses to the ends of the earth for Jesus. If we're in Australia here, we're in a place that in the Roman Empire wasn't even known about at the time. It was so far away that didn't even know it existed or hadn't been um, discovered by those people, even though there'd been people living here for many thousands of years. But 
we are people who have been caught up in this continued story of the church being at work in proclaiming Jesus till the ends of the earth to people as far away and as different as, and as remote as you could imagine. But yet today there's still people in our midst and let alone in places far away that haven't heard the good news of Jesus, that haven't been able to access the truth of the gospel in their own language, or that have heard but haven't understood and need people to keep teaching them. According to Wycliffe's end of reports, end of year report last year, um, they're involved with Bible translation. Um, they said that there are now full Bibles in 724 languages around the world. It's amazing. It's just a shame that there's about 10 times that many languages in the world. I was just in PNG a few weeks ago, and in that country alone, there are more than 800 languages. And there are still many people in places that take days to get to, even though it's a small place, who still haven't heard the good news of Jesus in a language they can understand the church still exists today because this mission of being witnesses for Jesus to the ends of the earth is continuing. That's why we exist here, and that's why you might get sick of it, but we keep talking about our mission statement of proclaiming Christ and making disciples because that's what we're here to do. Everything that we do ought to have that behind it. Everything that we do individually in our lives, as families, in our workplaces, where we're studying, in our recreation, in our downtimes. It's all about that, of proclaiming Christ, of being his witnesses. It's what we do together, and it's why we come together on Sundays, and why we come together in growth groups, and why we come together in times that mean we can bring others who don't know Jesus or are not at church to come and meet his people. Everything we do together is because we as a church and all the local churches around the world continue with this same unstoppable mission of being witnesses for Jesus. It's something that we're all called to individually and we do together as his people as well. The second thing I think this tells us is that we continue with the same gospel message. All these years later, it's so easy for us to think that we're so far removed from the time of Jesus' first disciples that none of what we think or feel or struggle with is at all relevant to this sort of stuff that we read. We think that we're maybe better people or smarter or that we don't have the same problems. And it's right that we need to know our audience well, and that affects the way that we preach up the front or as we witness to people in our day-to-day -day lives, but we still all have the same fundamental problem. The reason Jesus came is that we are all alienated from God. We're separate from him. We have a barrier between us and him because of our sin. All of us are deserving of his wrath, and all of us without Christ, have that to fear. And yet, because Jesus came and offered 
by grace and faith, a way to be restored to God, to have life and hope of forgiveness, of joy in him, we can know God, we are given new life now, and that shapes all that we do. We all still have the same fundamental problem. No matter the country that we're in, whether it's Australia or PNG or Germany or North Korea, anywhere you go, there are people that need to know the truth of our biggest problem and the salvation that comes through the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a message that doesn't change. It's a news that's still always good. It's news that we ought to never get tired of or think we go beyond or that we can leave behind because it's our only hope. It's all that we have as God's people that gives us confidence that by faith alone we are saved and brought near to God. And so don't let the times and the culture and the environment that we're in think that you need to change that message. All through Acts, it's been the same good news. Different in different places with little nuance because people didn't know the scriptures or people had a different problem that surrounded the issue. But it's the same core message that Jesus is the Christ, God's promised king, who reigns and rules and needs everyone to submit to him in faith for life and forgiveness. Don't let the culture and times around us now change that message in what you proclaim. We continue with the same mission, with the same gospel message of life and forgiveness through faith in Christ alone. The third and final thing for this morning is that I think we ought to expect the same responses in the world. And now, I think a lot of us are pessimists, and so I'll start with the negative. All through Acts, we've seen people reject the truth of Jesus. These are people who've been alive while Jesus was alive. People who have heard from friends how Jesus performed amazing things and said amazing things. People who have seen Jesus raised from the dead. And yet people still didn't believe. Not just Jewish people, but Gentiles. There are people who won't believe. And yet, the greatly encouraging thing from Acts, the thing that gives us boldness and hope as we continue this mission of proclaiming Jesus to those around us, is just how many people do. In virtually every place that the people in Acts go, including Paul at this last moment in chapter 28. There's people who hear the good news and believe. There's people that see that they need to repent and believe in Jesus. I think we're so used to friends not accepting invitations or maybe even closer that we so think that people won't accept invitations that we don't even try or that we feel it's too hard or we just can't stand another rejection. And yet one of the most amazing things from Acts is that wherever the gospel goes, people come to faith. Not through crazy things, not through um, super amazing people, but purely by people like you and me who have been saved from death to life in Jesus and are simply proclaiming the good news 
the same good news that saved us and that will save others around us. There are people in Upper Mount Gravatt who are going to become Christians this year. In Brisbane, in Queensland, in Australia, there are hundreds of thousands of people, even millions of people every year who become Christians. God is still at work, and especially in places with the most opposition. And so as we come together this morning as people in a country like Australia, where we have so much freedom, where as it stands right now, there is not much to lose by speaking the good news of Jesus. Let's be encouraged to continue on with this same mission, with the same gospel, expecting the same responses that we've seen throughout the book of God working powerfully through his word, by his spirit, in the lives of people around us, coming to faith in Jesus, joining in in the family, joining in in church as we gather, that we could celebrate together and look forward to being together with the great multitude at the end of all of his people, worshipping the Father and the Son forever. It's this mission, this unstoppable mission that we've been hearing about for so long as we've been going through Acts, and it's what we're called into as a church and called into individually. And so as we go into this week, as I finish up this morning, let's pray that God would be at work through what we say and through the way that we model our lives around the shape of Jesus, that more people would come to believe in the fact that Jesus is Lord and that faith in him brings life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time in this great and long book and the way that we can see and be encouraged by your work through ordinary witnesses of Jesus to speak the good news and see people come to faith in him. Lord, in the place that we are here, there are thousands of people millions of people in our city who don't know him. There are many people who have never even heard him, even though they're in our midst. So, Father, we pray that you would give us boldness and joy and encouragement to be people that continue to teach and speak the good news. Lord, help us to see that this is our mission as a church and as everyone in it. And Lord, help us all to long for the day when your son returns, when we will be with him in glory, with you and all his people, sharing in the delight of knowing him and each other forever in the new creation. Lord, we pray this all for Jesus' sake. Amen.